0: Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. My name is Alan. With me, as always, is Gareth. Hello! Hello! We are doing a little bit of a special here, post-series bonus. On
1: Fleabag, which we looked at just, yeah. just last week. I think we mentioned in that podcast that it, this all came from a live stage show, and we have both been to see that stage show. Um. Although I should probably explain, it's uh, I went to see it in Leeds, you went to see it in London, and we were watching a, a cinematic recording of the stage show. Uh, but nevertheless, we've both seen Phoebe Waller-Bridge performing this on stage. And we're going to talk about that.
0: Yeah, it was a National Theatre live production. The, the Fleabag live show that created Fleabag ran from 2013 to about 2016. They did it at Edinburgh Fringe, blah, blah, mm. blah. We talked about that in our episode. So it was a kind of a a, a monologue. It's a one-person show. Presumably was an hour long. Because yeah. if it was a Fringe show, that's basically what what you're doing. Then we have the series... As we'll talk about a little bit in terms of content, the first series of Fleabag is basically the content from this yeah. one person show.
1: Yeah, to, to the extent that, you know, the dialogue is, it's, it's, it, a lot of it's the same script. Obviously, the series has got a lot more material in it, but. So the series is three hours. This,
0: this is obviously what I, I said would probably have been an hour. Then we have in 2019, Phoebe Waller Bridge and presumably Vicky Jones, who is a creative partner and was the director of the show, they, for whatever reason, decide to do this live show again through the National (laughs) Theatre.
1: When you say whatever reason, I'm doing the Ricky Gervais rubbing the fingers together. (laughs) Was it not just for a cash-in, was it? (laughs)
0: Yeah, but honestly, if you were going to cash in, you would do a tour. Uh, Doing it at the National Theatre, letting them record it and then put it out, I don't know. You obviously get paid for that, yeah. But I I think perhaps there was a, a sense of signing off look, we've done the second series, or we're uh-huh. about to do the second series, let's put this one to bed, let's put this. Let's get it on tape and it's kind of done then. Maybe, I don't know. I'm yeah. happy to be generous about that. Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Brock America, she doesn't need you know, English money anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, in 2019, they redo the live show. It's now an hour and a half, and I don't know exactly where that change came or what no. happened with that. Did Was it extended? But this, the recording we saw was made after the series went out. So it's it's a sort of post-hoc uh, look at that. Yeah. Did they change it at all? I don't know. Was it uh. was it significantly changed? I I suspect not because there's a lot of stuff in the live show that doesn't make it to the series and you can see a sort of natural line there as opposed to going the other way.
1: Obviously, we're not. I can't compare it because I don't know what was in the material beforehand. But but it's definitely a different experience having watched the series. Like Mm. I can imagine going to see this at the two thousand and thirteen Edinburgh Festival, yeah, and and enjoying it in in a certain way. But then having seen the three hours of series one, it sort of feels like oh well, this is a sort of greatest hits. Someone just doing the highlights you know it's yeah. it's it's kind of a a pale copy mm,
0: i know what you mean yeah i kind of had to, i i did try and watch it with that in mind sort
1: of yeah. being generous to it because of that well I, I went to watch it with with rachel my significant other and she's not seen the series of fleabag and so it was quite interesting to get her perspective she, she, she enjoyed it i enjoyed it so for example we're not not spoiling anything here at the end where we get the reveal that that boo has killed herself because fleabag mm. has had sex with her boyfriend that that big reveal wasn't a reveal because i already knew that yeah but it was it was a shocking reveal to rachel and she hadn't seen that come in and it it, it had its desired impact yeah well, shall I describe sort of the, the how it's realised and how it looks? So we've essentially got Phoebe Waller-Bridge on stage. She's sitting on a chair. and She occasionally stands up and she's kind of acting out various scenes. But she is essentially talking to us, the audience. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we saw in the series this breaking of the fourth wall. She would be within the drama. Then she would look to us and, and, and have a dialogue with us. Well, not a dialogue, but she would talk to us. Whereas in this stage show, she is essentially just talking to us. And there's the mm. occasional act out where she, it's, it's, it's the emphasis is the other way around. So rather than us being witnesses and occasionally included, it's the other way around. We're having yeah. a conversation with her and she occasionally demonstrates what she's talking about.
0: And she, and it is totally different vibe. She's not acknowledging the audience. You could do a monologue or a one person show and then occasionally like make eye contact with a member of the audience and go, hey, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I mean? Like you could, you can break that Fourth wall, it's different yeah. to a monologue. Like, you are talking to the audience, okay. but that is not breaking the fourth the wall in quite making, the same yes. way. Yeah. Which is a real tonal shift for the series, actually. I thought that was quite interesting that they made that choice.
1: Yeah, I did. That, that's true. So, you know, I'm kind of, I just said it was more to the, to the audience than the, the series. And yet, yeah, I felt less engaged in that sense. You know, yeah, I didn't feel yeah, included definitely. in quite the same way as I did with the series Or with Miranda, as we discussed.
0: And I think if you're looking at the show and going, oh, this is an interesting character some stories, we could turn this into a sitcom, or even we could turn this into a comedy drama if you want to uh, engage in that way. (laughs) There's all sorts of different ways to do that. Breaking the fourth wall and talking to the audience is not the immediate choice. And as we talked a little bit in our episode about, I think you don't make that choice if Miranda didn't exist. Uh, the show Mm -hmm. that precedent just five years earlier had been set and proven successful and i think that's probably enough to have made that decision as we said when we we did a lot of comparisons to miranda but it totally totally different and even the breaking of the fourth wall achieves quite a different result it doesn't draw you in and make you feel like you're a friend to the main character as it does in miranda it makes you feel like you're in the world and what uh, yeah you're a witness yeah that's that's it but in an exposing way in a very kind of Mm -hmm. i'm seeing things i probably shouldn't be seeing kind of way
1: yes so another way that this is realized is with sound cues including some dialogue so there are other characters voices so for example in the series we had hugh dennis's bank manager that's mm-hmm. slightly different in that it's someone who's interviewing her for a job rather than the bank manager, but but, but the, the, the script is similar. And we don't have any other actors, it's just Phoebe Waller-Bridge, but we have the, an actor's voice, which mm-hmm. enables hers to have a conversation, which was a little weird, a little um, unworldly.
2: Our current situation is unusual in that we don't have many, any women working here, mainly due to the... Uh, the sexual harassment case! Sexual harassment Yes, 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 yes. Are you all right? Uh, yeah, sorry, I just... Uh... I just ran from the station, so I'm a bit hot. I'm really excited about this. Uh, no, no. Can I
1: ask you this? Was that... How would that be done? Like, is each is there a sound person playing, pressing a button to play each line? Is there, a, is there an actual actor in the stage? I presume not. Or is it is it a recording of that whole scene, and she has to time her answers accordingly? My instinct
0: for that would be that each line of dialogue is separate and there's yeah. a tech person hitting the space bar to, to make I them go I suppose you in can turn. do that
1: fairly easily digitally, can't you?
0: Yeah, there's a cold software. You have each sound effect lined up and you literally yeah. just hit space bar to do the next one, right?
1: You can t- Listeners can tell which of us does the editing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is a possibility that they recorded it as a whole section of dialogue and she's just so smoother that she knows exactly mm, what timing she's what doing. That's what I wondered, yeah. And and that might even be preferable depending on how you like to perform. You might like to absolutely have it nailed and perfect timing. But either way it's quite difficult to respond to a recorded thing because it's it's difficult to respond to anything that doesn't have a body, you know. If you can't see someone's face, yeah. it's very difficult to react to them. But yeah, like I say, this is a smooth show they've done over and over again. So um, I suspect just one line at a time, but, you know, there's Well, those you, the you sort
1: of it. raised something there which irritated me a little bit, which was her comedic timing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was saying I was trying to imagine what this would be like having not seen the series. But the problem is that everyone in the audience had. And so there were a couple of times where her comic timing on a punchline was egregiously long. Because we all knew what the punchline was, we all knew it was coming, and she really sort of made it, dragged it out, and made it, made us wait, and made us wait, and then delivered it. And that that annoyed me. I was like, come on, (laughs) come on, we all know what you're going to say, get on with it.
0: Is that because you knew what was coming because you've already seen it in the show, or you knew what was coming because of the context of the setup? Yeah, it's because
1: I'd already seen it, but my point is everyone in the audience had already seen the series. Yeah, Because this was a 2019 recording, not earlier. It reminded me of when you told us about the Only Fools and Horses musical. Yeah. You know, the falling through the bar where they'd sort of teased it and, oh, will this be the moment? And then they finally did it and everyone cheered. Rather than laughed, they cheered. Yeah. And th- there was that sense. I've written down here, massive arsehole, <laughs> which is, that's the punchline to the, what well, in the TV series is the famous sort of opening scene. It's a little later on in the stage show, but, but, but it's the same, it's the same monologue. The same punchline, and there's this almighty delay, this unnatural delay for the punchline, because we all know it's coming.
2: And I spend the rest of the day wondering... <laughs> Do I have a massive asshole? <laughs>
1: And it just, it took me out of the drama because I was like, okay, oh yes, I'm watching Field B. Bridge deliver Fleabag here.
0: Mm. That is a fault of us having seen the material before though, not of the show. If you were seeing the stage show.
1: No, no, I disagree. I I disagree. I, I, I know what you're saying and I accept that for some of my criticisms, but in this case, she, she played it that way. She was delivering the line to a knowing crowd. Yeah.
0: I understand that. I I didn't like that. that. Well, you know, we've seen this before in stagecraft. You've got to ride the crowd. You've got to ride the waves that they're giving you. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. And I also felt the same way. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was egregious because I think it's
1: earned. It felt indulgent. It's
0: indulgent, perhaps, but like I say, you read the room and you see how it feels. Certainly in the the room I was in, it was getting a great response. I went with a friend as well who had also, she's well familiar with Fleabag. She loves the show. And she was laughing, laughing, laughing. I didn't laugh that much, but I'd watched Fleabag two days before like for the first time so it was so fresh in my mind Uh, and i'd really enjoyed it obviously but it was a little bit too like oh i've just watched this (laughs) so it didn't quite hit me would have been nice to see this um clean uh,
1: yeah i think so i think i i feel like i've done this in the wrong order you know because you know i was very positive about fleabag and i still am i really enjoyed watching the series and then it almost came as a little bit of a oh bit of an anticlimax. didn't quite enjoy that as much as I was hoping to, yeah, well, bear in
0: mind though, if you watched this first, watching the series wouldn't have hit you in the same way, and sure. uh, you know. That's that's the same payoff. Did Rachel yeah. give you any specific feedback as a, as a, a newbie to it? Did anything sort of jump out at her?
1: Yeah, one of the things that she liked, which we sort of disagreed a little bit on, which is about our own personal taste, I suppose, is that she kind of liked the way that it was staged and realised. And I I I didn't. You know, it felt very. I, I mean, I will tell you what, I've written down here. It felt very drama school. It felt like someone let's put on a show. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I, I I I don't know. That just kind of grated at me a little bit. Whereas Rachel really liked that. She really liked the way it was all very simple, very clean and crisp, no frippery, no complications. But I don't know, I just, maybe again it's a result of having seen this beautifully realised series that it just all felt too stripped down for me.
0: Just to come back to something I talked about in our series there was uh, the joke goes that someone asked her to do a little bit of a routine uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know give us 10 minutes on this uh, and she was oh i can't do that i'm not a stand-up comedian and they went it's okay you can sit down and so that's kind of where oh, that yes, began and we're saying like, that now yeah look we'll just put a chair on the thing and you can sit down it's fine if that makes you feel more comfortable bearing that in mind it's interesting that that did not progress it's just a chair <laughs> on, a, on a on a stage what i will say i i know what you mean that's very stripped down thing to be able to hold an audience and engage hmm. an audience just with that, yeah. is, t- is testament to the skill of the writing and the skill of the performer. Yeah, Even exactly. the tech was not particularly sophisticated. They dimmed the lights for a bit, a few sound effects, probably a bit more than you would get at your classic Edinburgh Fringe show, but not a lot more, really. I don't feel like they've packed that up too much. I mean, I find it really impressive in that sense, because I'm totally engaged throughout.
1: Yeah, okay, I think that's fair enough. You know, as I'm reflecting on it, I think my criticism is very much based on the contrast between the show and the and the stage show. And that, that's probably not fair, especially mm-hmm. if you were seeing the stage show before, you know.
0: I think it also says a lot about just how well that series is made. Hmm to develop that, what that was that we saw, that is very good and very engaging, to develop that into a okay, it's not really a episodic sitcom like we said, but to develop that into a three hour narrative that still holds together, it doesn't feel padded out, and there's nothing that I specifically can go oh, there's this plot line in the series that isn't in the in the stage show it, yeah. it doesn't feel like they've had to significantly add something in, it just feels like they've puffed it all out a bit and, and, and let it breathe, and that is excellently done, and the style of the filming, making that choice to have her break the fourth wall. Mm. It, it, I mean, it just all comes together so well, and a lot of that is not there in the live show. I think that's a very impressive sidestep to be able to make that work. Well,
1: you've raised there uh, things that were missing, if you like. Th- let's, say, let's put it away things that were added for the TV series. Yeah. And i got a couple of things. Firstly, the, there was a whole episode of the series when they go away to that retreat which is obviously entirely new material. Mm -hmm. But the big thing for me was the godmother. The the Olivia Coleman character is barely mentioned. She's very much literally in the background. She's never brought into the foreground at all. And she's a huge presence in the series. I remember you saying when we discussed the series that essentially that part had been written for Olivia Mm Coleman. So I'm curious... I don't think you'll have the answer to this question, but I'm curious to know when Phoebe Waller-Bridge was set... had been given this commission, right? We want you to convert that one-person show into a a six-episode sitcom. And she sits down, scratches her head and thinks, right, what do I add? Does she just think, Olivia Coleman? I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is always thinking about Olivia Colman. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what I think. Well, I am. So it's- <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I think yes. I think in the same way she sat down and for the second series and came up with a priest character. Like that's going to give me lots to work with. Yeah, yeah, you just think right. I need to pad this out a bit, or well, not pad it out. I need to expand this in a legitimate way. I ne- let's add an extra character th- and maybe when she was writing the original thing, she had this whole thing about a stepmother and then was like, ah, I, I need to get this Either down time. to an hour, cut that out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, or, or maybe not. Yeah, and then the retreat, like the retreat is a kind of a, a new addition, but then we, as we see in the series, that Hugh Dennis connection that mm-hmm. creates a middle point in that story with yes. that character, uh, which we don't have in the stage show. We just have a beginning the and The stage ending.
1: show starts and ends in a job interview with, with mm-hmm. the, the Hugh Dennis character. And it's, it's a bookend to the show.
0: A little bit forced, it felt to me, that the the ending, to make it back to the beginning, it was a little bit like, oh, by the way, we're back here. Didn't Mm. didn't go all that naturally to me, but I'm alright, I can
1: can let that go. So, we talked about a few things that had to be added for the series. Did you notice anything in the stage show that had been cut? One very big thing, yeah. One very big thing.
0: Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, so, the guinea pig... The guinea pig obviously is in the series. In the series, we see what's his name? Staff Let's Flats uh
1: Jason Dimitri, no, Dimitri-, Dimitri- Jamie
0: something. Jamie. Jamie Dimitri Dimitrios Dimitriu what's Dimitri- his name? <laughs> Massive Jamie. racist. Dimitri- it's only a Greek
1: name. It's not that complicated. <laughs> Jamie Dimitriu.
0: In the series we see Jamie Dimitri as a as a sort of a rat face
1: character. Well, he's interestingly, he's called Bus Rodent in the series and he's called Tube Rodent in the show. Do
0: you know what I noticed that? There's a lot of scenes on the tube
1: which take place on a bus. It's so much easier
0: to film on a bus than a tube. Yeah. 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 And fair enough, right? Fair enough. Yeah. So that character. In the series, he gets freaked out by the guinea pig and kind of runs away. Yeah. In the live show, he gets freaked out by the guinea pig and boots it across the floor.
1: Yeah, and the guinea pig is obviously hurt. Well, not quite to death. It's very badly injured.
0: Yeah, and so there's a big moment shortly afterwards where Fleabag, quite near the end of the play, takes this injured guinea pig and puts it out of its mercy by basically smothering it to death and crushing it till it mm-hmm. dies. And it's a very dark moment in the play. And it it sort of emphasises where she is as a character that she's at a very low place and she, she's not taking any pleasure in it. You've got a guinea pig that's dying. There's things you do. You take it to a vet. Even if you're having it put down, you don't yeah. crush it to death against your breasts, <laughs> yeah. which is what she does. So it's... Um, but there like was an audible moment. gasp
1: from the audience. I'm not sure if it was from the audience at the National Theatre or the audience in Leeds, but there was, it was a, a really shocking moment. And I did think to myself, well, that was a shocking moment. But was it shocking because it was shocking? Or was it shocking because it was the only thing that I didn't know what was going to happen?
0: Do you know what I've been... In my research, reading a bit about Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and, and like, especially in a, uh, her work with Dry Right Theatre, that's her production company, and the sort of thing they do, it's basically they talk a lot about, we want to get down to how do you make an audience laugh? Okay, we're going to work it out, we're going to do things and we're going to see, okay, what, does, what makes this audience laugh? How does this work? How do we shock an audience? How do we do this? That's a lot of the things they do to create these moments. And to be able to do that and then make it feel part of a whole is obviously just good writing. But I think that comes from uh, sitting down and doing a stage show and I'm going to go, right, how do I shock the audience? What What do you do to make an audience go, And that's yeah. it. That's the moment you do it and you get that response and you go, yeah, that worked. Yes. Does that add to your cohesive whole uh, and your character? Perhaps it doesn't. And then when you're making a series and perhaps want to <laughs> change mm-hmm. things slightly, that's the bit you drop maybe. I don't know. It's interesting that they don't put that in the series because I think if she did that in the series, would it be totally out of place? Would it have changed your view of the character?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I wondered about, it's a BBC production, just a Mm. compliance thing. You cannot kill a guinea pig with your bare hands on the BBC. Like that wouldn't surprise me. But regardless of whether or not that was stipulated, the sentiment behind it is valid. If, If we had seen Fleabag on the television, I mean, literally smother a guinea pig to death, I think that's that's too far, I think that's beyond mm. the pale, even considering all the other things that she does, the all the other selfish acts that she does I think that would I think that would take us away from our sympathetic position. Maybe they realized that
0: hm mm. took it out.
1: There is also a difference between miming holding a guinea pig to your breast and and crushing it, and actually us watching a guinea pig being crushed i I mean you know, I don't mean seeing it burst, but physically having something in your hands rather than just miming. I think that's different visually. Oh,
0: definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's something you get with TV and film over theatre. There's just a much more gratuitous reality to it.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering if they filmed it and then just watched it back and went, nah. (laughs) Yeah, like, Jesus.
0: Do you know what, actually? It reminded me, and I watched back a little bit in the very last episode of First Series Fleabag. You see this guinea pig in the hutch. she It's when she's, oh my God, everyone's abandoned me. I'm depressed. Yeah. I'm walking back. She goes back to the cafe. It's before Hugh Dennis arrives. And there's this very dark moment. The music is swelling, this kind of like ominous music. And you get the guinea pig and she opens the thing. And then she just drops some food in and closes it. And it, that felt like a deliberate... Now, yeah, watching okay. it after seeing the live show that felt like yeah. a deliberate you're waiting for the moment where she grabs the guinea pig and kills it and then she doesn't
1: uh, that sounds like an interesting easter egg i i, I don't remember that because i did not i didn't see its significance at the time that sounds like an interesting easter egg for people who'd seen the stage show
0: maybe maybe what did you think about performance then in terms of phoebe waller bridge as a live performer
1: i don't she like as you say i think she did a very good job of engaging us. It was, you know, we were wrapped and it was just her on the stage with a little bit of sound effects. I did find it very stage Mm school-y, but I I think that's my chip rather than her problem. Mm -hmm. I definitely noticed
0: a difference in acting style. It was a more theatrical acting. Yeah. Obviously that's kind of a given, Uh, but she was doing the, uh, I'm I'm talking on a stage and I will say what I'm saying, a bit more of a projection vibe on that. And... Funnily enough, it changed the, the timbre of a voice or something. But like at, at one point, it, it was reminding me of Victoria Wood, actually. Okay. And I was like, is she... Is she from Manchester or something like that? Has lost the accent. It's like, there's no, she's not, but there was definitely a sort of a northern twang in there when she was projecting. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was just me, um, me finding that, but I thought it was an interesting comparison just from an acting point of view. How subtle the show is in terms of her performance, mm. and she's obviously capable of, of straddling both those worlds, which is actually more difficult than it seems. You know, there's, there is two totally different styles.
2: And try to work on the figures for the cafe. I run a guinea pig themed cafe. But it's out of cash and it's going to close unless a cheque falls out of the sky or a banker comes on my ass, And neither are going to happen. And I don't want to dignify the banker man with a proper mention, so I'm not going to talk about him. Well, how I do sometimes wish I could own up to not having morals and let him come on my ass for (laughs) £10,000. But apparently we're not supposed to do that.
1: Well, we talked before. So I I mentioned about the timing of some of the lines, which felt to me a little bit overcooked mm. you made the interesting comparison there i'm thinking for example ronnie corbett in sorry where yeah. he'll ride a laugh and his timing is perfect because he spent hours and hours of his life on stage and he knows how to ride that audience but of course there isn't a studio audience in fleabag in in, in the tv show mm. and so that that's the difference in timing isn't it she's performing to a live audience whereas in the sitcom she wasn't mm. that's perhaps the difference in timing but also that creates that difference in performance
0: Definitely, yeah, and and for the record, I think that in the show Fleabag, the timing is all sublime. The editing is mm, is spot on, and everything. I I do agree with you that there were some points in the show where she she really uh, yeah milks it for all it was worth. Yeah.
1: Having said that, the audience seemed to be enjoying it. So what do I know? You know, I'm I'm just one person. People like different things and that's okay. We say that a lot. Hey, well, you liked it. That's a
0: nitpicky thing, really, isn't it? That's just, a, that's just yeah. sort of little moments that yeah. didn't quite strike right.
1: Listen, I enjoyed the show. It was worth 15 quid and worth a night out and it was great. I think I would rather have seen it before this TV series. I would have enjoyed it even mm. more. I think the problem is I didn't enjoy it as much as the TV series. As you said, timing, the edit, everything about the series I loved. And this was just a sort of paler copy. It wasn't a terrible copy. It was just a slightly paler photocopy.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. It certainly suffered for me from having seen the series two days before for the mm-hmm. first time. I think if you if you hadn't watched it for a year, this might hit you in a way of like, oh, I remember that bit. Yeah, it might have that kind of highlights yeah, vibe that actually works for you. What do you What do you think, Gareth? Name me another sitcom that would lend itself to a good one person show. Because if you come up with
1: one, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll write it. <laughs> Well, I think I told you, I went to see a a, a three-person production of Steptoe and Son, which was actors portraying the actors recording a radio script, which is a really clever way to do it because then you don't have to have all the sets and everything. You just have to have a little folio guy doing sound effects.
0: And so did that have them doing the radio show, but then little bits outside of that where they're in character as the actors talking to each other?
1: Not not really. A little bit, just they sort of as they came on, they shook hands and that sort of thing. But no, we were. it wasn't like a backstage behind the scenes. You're just working like the thing. radio scripts, basically. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They just got the script. Like I say, it was a quite clever way to put it on. And it, and it worked, but it was a pale copy of Steptoe and Son. you know. Mm. So that's not what you asked me, though, is it? So a one-person show. So what sitcoms have we watched that... I, <laughs> what what sitcoms have we watched that centre around one central character and could possibly be done as a monologue? And the only one I've got is Jim Davidson in Up the Elephant around the Castle. <laughs> like, I mean, that would be the worst hour and a half of your life. But but actually, I bet you could do that. I bet he could do that, and he'd probably have a decent audience for it. Well, we talked about that in terms of creating a show
0: based around a stand-up comedian. I think why, you know, The yeah. Elephant Around the Castle, they had that monologue in that first series was because they thought, mm. oh, look, he's a stand-up comedian, let's use that skill. If you've seen Miranda Hart do stand-up, her stand-up yeah. tour that she did after the success of the show, it is just her kind of... yeah. Going, oh, here's an embarrassing thing I did once at a party. It, yeah, it has very much the same vibe of just listening to Miranda, uh, yeah. the, the TV show Miranda, talking for a bit. So I think there's an
1: there's a obvious connection there. I, I tell you what could, what could be done. Ooh, One cool. foot in the grave. Yeah. There, there isn't, isn't there an episode of One Foot in the Grave where it's just him? There is yes right. and he did
0: they did do a, a live show in Edinburgh that was a version of that that episode right. plus something i think some original writing i can't quite remember off the top of my head but yeah we talked about that in our one foot in the grave episode yeah victor Meldrew just
1: moaning about stuff yes you yeah. can make that work and you could, you, in the same way as Phoebe Waller-Bridge interacts with those, you know, those voices from offstage, you, you know, you could throw in those interactions. I think that would work. Yeah. You could yeah. do the same with Alf Garnett. Yeah, I, I mean, principle. he's done essentially
0: what it was a stand-up yeah. show, with just in yeah. character, improving and answering questions and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think what you need is that strong character, don't you, I guess?
1: That's an interesting question, though. If you, a uh, non-megastar actor, <laughs> wanted to put on a one-man show For example, uh, as Alf Garnet. Are you allowed to do that? If you write your own material, are you allowed to use the character?
0: no I don't think so uh, that's an interesting question though because like for example I know right now there's a couple of people doing one person shows one that is all about Yutha Joyce and it's kind of about her as okay. a person not like using material from George and Mildred or anything like that there's one about this, basically a life story of John Le Measurer. Uh mm-hmm. they're touring right now that's a different thing to doing scripts from an in-character show but interesting you know those dinner theatre things that people do mm, that's Fawlty like Towers. oh the Faulty Towers dining experience or the, the Only Fools and Horses that experience they've come into a bit of problem with that stuff because they've been doing that for quite a while and like they're using the characters but there's no plot lines being used they kind of create their own scenario
1: so they're 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 writing their own material but using yes characters but using the characters and
0: they were getting away
1: with that for quite a while but then they weren't for
0: as well they definitely got in trouble for something but i don't know the full legal ramifications of that but it does feel a bit like if you're using the characters then you're using someone's Intellectual, intellectual property, property. Right? I don't, I don't I, know I agree I, don't I, know how you get I
1: agree that. <laughs> I wouldn't be very happy if it was a character of mine being used because you could I mean you could do anything with it couldn't you you could make you could yeah. make Al yeah. into a horrible person <laughs> legacy.
0: but I think if you if you really wanted to do that you you would you know, if you have got the proper permissions and everything, yeah, yeah, I think like especially something that's been off the air for quite a while, you might just be able to get like. There's definitely like people do the stage show of Dinner Ladies, for example. There's a script that exists, and you can rent it, you can lease I think it. That's, to use. That's a different thing.
1: I, I I I get what you're saying, but I'm not. I don't mean that. I, I'm talking about taking a, an established character and writing. It's not even fanfic. It's not. I'm not even saying writing a new episode of Dinner Ladies. I'm saying I, I just have Brenda on stage talking. To the art, card. I don't know why you started this with dinner ladies, but can you imagine trying to be Victoria Wood and trying to write material as good as Victoria mm. Wood? I mean, oh, <laughs> <the> hubris. <laughs> well, I guess we've concluded that this stuff's not as easy as it looks, and um, <laughs> it doesn't look that easy to be <laughs> no, no, exactly. Nah, just standing on stage and talking. How hard can it be? You know. <laughs> but um, but uh, like, like I say, I think I, I think I, I did enjoy this. I just it wasn't as good as the expensively created and edited sitcom, which, you know, when you say it like that, it's hardly surprising, really. But I enjoyed it, and I I recommend Fleabag, both versions, both series. Go see it. I mean, it was interesting for me to watch because I am currently,
0: as we record, writing a one-person show that I'm going to be putting on soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. By the time this episode comes out, I'll have done it. And what's that about? Well, mine's kind of based around James Bond and um, the sort of the cultural ideas of Bond and stuff like that. But the point being that I like it's good for me to watch one-person shows at the moment because I'm just like, mm. right, how, what's the best way to do this to structure yeah. this? And, and there's so many different options, obviously. So lo- watching something that is just so impactful and works so well, but is really simple it's just like okay what do i want to take from that it has made me really focus like going away from like oh let's be silly and fun and entertaining into like well it needs to have a point you know it needs to say Mm -hmm. something it needs to have a bit of emotional kind of core to it so um it's been good good for me to do watch that as well so that's Fleabag, we are sort of officially done and dusted on that. One of the most recent thing we've covered.
1: We'll have a few more bonus episodes for you before our new series. Christmas coming up. Oh, Christmas coming up, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we will have, by now, by the time you're listening to this, we'll already be watching new sitcoms for the new series as well. Mm. So hopefully we'll be back with you in a few weeks. And in the meantime, there'll be some more bonus content. We
0: can be found on Instagram and Twitter at BritComPod. And you can see all the shenanigans we're up to there. Facebook, we have a Facebook group. If you search for British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll find it. Also on YouTube, search for British Sitcom History to find all our content with video accompaniments. Plus extra stuff that just goes out on there and is is strictly video based, not audio. So it doesn't go out on the podcast feed.
1: Great. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we will see you soon.
2: Bye. Bye.